Welcome to ArchiSpeak, the podcast that talks about what it's like to work in the profession of architecture. Dude. Emergency. All of a sudden, I just went to go tell Jesse because she just was taking the laundry out. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be. She's like, we have a problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Water had been spraying in the garage all night oh, long. Crap. From a bad hose connection. On from a, the washer? She ha- we, Well, it's from the washer over to like this soap dispenser thing that like this commercial type soap dispenser where it mixes water and soap at various uh, percentages. It was for her old cleaning business. Now we use it a lot still for all of our cleaning supplies. And uh, it was just leaking all night long, spraying everywhere. So she was like trying to figure it out, like the valves and everything. And she did. She just shut the whole water off to the house. (laughs) Well, that'll do it. That solved it. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. Yeah, it's not good. It's now now like that corner of the garage is soaking wet. So bunch of stuff get What have you been doing this morning? Um <laughs> that's just the last five minutes. <laughs> what have I been doing? Uh detailing. Oh, you're still working. Yeah, yeah we'll be doing it till Friday wow. is our Is that the well it's a it's the first interim deadline, and there's like a whole slew, and I'm just seething in anger. Like, what are interim deadlines all about, anyway? Um, I mean, they don't really mean a lot. They don't. In this particular case, I'm not quite sure they mean much of anything, except uh, getting you angry. <laughs> well, I mean, getting me angry at the fact that I I did a progress print, you know, which of course took four hours of time because I can't oh I can't work in Revit while I'm printing from Revit. Yeah. And it and it literally took me four hours to print. To, yeah, to we're, a PDF. we're going through the uh setting up automation for that so that it happens in the middle of the night. So the you know I'm looking at all of our old sets and I'm looking at our new sets and so there's a lot of there's some differences. There's not a lot of progress. And, you know, so not stuff that you see, well, I mean, you know, we've got all these different things. Like as of yesterday, I was looking at, oh, really, you're going to start that. <laughs> it's the mascot. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put, and now this, a word from our sponsor. Yeah. yeah mix. <laughs> Hold on real fast. So now it, yeah, kitty gone. Kitty go bye bye. Bye kitty. Yeah, he's been in a mood where he's been attacking people and biting them, and drawing blood mm. and stuff. So, not very many people are happy with him, and so he comes to me to like for safety. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh man, you you get what you deserve if you. For like absolutely no reason, they're like, "Oh, kitty, I love you," and they're petting the kitty, and the kitty's just like, "Oh." And now at this point in time is when I flip on my crazy switch and yeah. start biting you. But uh, so yeah, um, you know, I looked at our foundation plans, and I mean, 
I get to blame myself for all of this because, you know, like, as I assign all of this work, I didn't follow through with the tracking of it getting done to a level of completeness, completeness where I call them printable or print ready. Yeah. Still do this. Well, the stuff's in the model, but it's not like the information's there, but it's not presented in a way that makes sense for sheets of drawings. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, and you know, the whole spiel that we always go through of like, until we uh, build from the model, you got to have documents right. and the documents have got to be right. And, and for, and to be quite honest with you for quite a while, I don't see that happening on a, such a large scale only because bigger, bigger projects can afford to do that because bigger, bigger projects can afford to hire contractors who are more innovative, smaller projects. You're going to get the smaller contractors because you, you want it to be affordable. Most of the time they're not innovating the way that larger contractors or larger, you know, construction management groups are. And so if they're not innovating, they're not going to, they're not going to build from a model. They're going to build from paper. Yeah, totally. Well, and if the stuff isn't on the paper, then they have something to complain about. Yeah. Right? Sadly. So sadly. <laughs> so I, I, I drew to a print level of completeness, three full sheets yesterday. They say on average that it takes one, you know, like AIA put out something like ages ago. It's just like for the, to fill like a full sheet of documents, you know, it usually takes 40 hours of coordination and documentation and, and everything else. And I had to put all of that aside and just basically like crank and crank and crank. I mean, so this isn't what most people who, do 3d models wants to hear but when your models are almost there but not quite there but you need to have your details a hundred percent there sometimes you got to resort to a little bit of component drafting and a little bit of you know just using all of the different components within the, the little revit box as well as drafting mm -hmm. uh, which 2D drafting in Revit leaves something to be desired, but I really don't like doing 2D drafting in Revit, but it's it's hard because you will not remember everywhere that you drafted. And nobody's gonna go back and replace that stuff. Of course. They won't be able to find all of it. They'll they'll replace some of it, right? Because you said this is a progress set. Yeah. Yeah. So why why do you have to have the details 100% complete at a progress set? Because it... Is it for pricing? It's, uh, I mean, they may look at it a little bit for pricing, but... Yeah, the, the thing that, you know, the downfall of BIM everywhere is exactly what just happened to your model, which is, you know, there's lots of good information stored in the model elements mm -hmm. that is not getting translated to the sheets... And so the deadline comes and all the rules go out the window so that it looks right on the sheets. Mm -hmm. But the long-term detriment of that is larger than anybody really thinks about because it's not their problem. Right. So when the, when the firm at some point is like, hey, how many 30 by 32 classrooms have we done in the last five years, right? Um, and... 
or how many times have we used this detail component or this detail or you know you know data yeah. data type yeah. stuff it's broken yep totally broken and so then it doesn't ever evolve to that level because because of this deadline kind of stuff and because those elements weren't already made and because people weren't taking it to the level that they needed to when they needed to they were you know probably distracted by something else in the model that needed to get fixed or right. you know you know how these things kind of just unravel and you end up following these offshoots until completion and pretty soon you realize that you did this thing that probably really needed to be done but it was not what you were supposed to be doing well you know in the classic <laughs> method of schematic design design development and construction documents and how you assign x amount of time to each of those and usually like construction documentation took the longest it's because you had to commit you know yes. hard deadline had to commit hard deadline had to commit the one thing that I do definitely see is a detriment to BIM is you can, you know, if somebody says, you know, I was thinking about that and I, what if we change this? And then, you know, you put all of your efforts into like remodeling that area that, you know, somebody wants to change and okay. So now all of the document, all of anything that you had documented t towards that point has all changed, but if dependent, you know, and like you said, if, it, if depending on what it is, it doesn't really, you know, so we, I don't think mentally, I guess where I was going is I don't think we've, we've caught up with the shift in the amount of time that each of those things take. And so we're still making construction documentation more top heavy when we should be making the design development phase, probably the longest of them. So oh, at that particular yeah. phase, you can detail out, you know, you can basically model it right. Yeah. Or get, get stuff blocked out so that those drawings update themselves. Right. right. You know, one of the things that I think is a big pitfall in the realization of the potential of building information modeling for real, not just, you know, some dumb Revit model, mm -hmm. yeah. is, um, is that people don't spend enough time in that early stage understanding the right and wrong way that the, the program expects things to work right, or to, right, people to operate right. it. And they're bringing old bad habits typically because firms don't take the time to train people with new bad habits or even establish what those new good habits, sorry, I should have said should be. So uh, for instance, uh, how many times a day do you hide elements in Revit? <laughs> Okay, I'm just going to leave you right there so that you don't incriminate yourself any further. So, you know, that is something that you should never do. Like, I agree. In all caps. I totally agree uh, with you. But I know because my wife uses Revit on a daily basis as well in the room next to me when she's working on smaller architects projects. And she goes to that little light bulb icon and flips that switch and it's a whole different world. This is like Stranger Things, like the upside down, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. all that stuff in pink, just all of a sudden shows up, and it's like, oh, that's where that that is. You know, maybe, maybe you'll find it that way. You'll probably find it, you know, because you got a hidden category mm -hmm. or view filters or categories turned off or like any any number of things, right? Like there's 52 ways to hide things in Revit. So, you know, this is bad practice. Yep. But do firms actually give people the tools and the knowledge to do it right? 
No, only a few self-starters, like really motivated people who are like Revit warriors on the weekends and at nights who are reading the forums and learning how to do this stuff really know how to do that stuff right. Right. And they don't have the time or the agency to teach everybody in the firm to do that stuff. And so they will just bitch and complain about it, right? Uh, they will continue to do it right, but they will constantly be rolling their eyes with everybody else who does it wrong. And the firm is not proactive in getting people to do these things the right way. So these projects continually are broken, 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 broken. Yep. Yep. So I w- And so we never realize the full potential of it because of, you know, everyone's just trying to get it done. Everyone's just trying to get it done as fast as possible because of that deadline or because of this or because of that. And so therefore the contractor does end up rebuilding the Revit model. Mm-hmm. Yeah, their their own way. Yeah, and and getting paid for it, right? And like yeah. actually billing the client for that. Uh, so there, you hack. This is what you know. Digital practice in my office is is trying to sort out for an eighty year old firm who's always kind of slightly followed the trend, not ever set the trend, not ever like on the cusp of the trend, not never outway in front of the trend, but just followed it. Right. Right. I mean, we did Revit and. We switched, quote unquote, to Revit in 2009. All projects must be in Revit by that date, September 9th, 2009, 999. And did that happen? No, it was a goal, right? And obviously there are still people who, who loved their AutoCAD and still wanted to do it in AutoCAD. But um, obviously Revit's been out a lot longer than that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we were, we were using it on projects before that too, but not to the extent at which you know now every project is is done in revit or whatever. So it's it's funny because we still drag those really old bad habits along with us. We still bring in cad files and link in cad files and explode cad files and it's funny because now you talk to anybody who knows anything about revit and they're like don't even don't even link those cad files. Don't even link them in. We don't want them in here. We want all native geometry and we want it all to be smart. Stop drafting with detail lines. Stop hiding stuff. And it's like, these are all the things that we did for 10 years in Revit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or longer. So it's a, it's, it's a very difficult shift for firms to make. And that's why I think it's even harder for big firms to make those shifts because everybody wants to do it their way uh, and operate like their, their own little small firm that's a team within a larger firm. And they just, maybe there's some guidelines they might follow. But, but like you said early you had to put the guidelines aside. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's a shame that we do because, you know, I think all the productivity that we have for people modeling things sometimes gets thrown out the window for, you know, kind of like a more traditional method of documentation. And it it's, it, it kind of sucks that, you know, you're, you know, you have all of this work and it, it's not being used to its fullest potential because people don't know how to quite bring it home or you're right. You know, it's those people who are working, you know, on weekends and things like that. So, you know, funny enough, I get a, a zoom chat yesterday, um, that, and I quote, based on what I've seen with this project, I would really like to push having specific rabbit training for everybody we hire. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. 
which basic and and this is you know this is across the board this isn't even just technical skills because i remember early on with getting digital practice up and running at hmc and and we did establish a training arm to digital practice specifically for what you're talking mm-hmm. about and putting the right people in the right places that are fully dedicated and not billable necessarily to projects but are just resources yeah like shifting the business you're talking about shifting hours on a project where appropriate, which I think everybody's known about like the bell curve of hours um, for draw for the phase of a project should be shifted more towards DD and less away from CDs. But we, we spent a lot of time kind of strategically planning that out so that, so that that could happen. But does it, it still doesn't happen enough. You know, the reason why you've got to get people who want to learn that, you know why it doesn't. Right. And I, I learned this, a couple of years ago when people were really trying to adopt BIM very vigorously. Um, And it's because, you know, especially with like established clients or institutional clients, they still bill traditionally. They have a, they have a contract. Their contract is set up for, and it means that they have to change the way that they do it. And a lot of times, they don't forward fund projects to like basically yeah. include all of the documentation process. They're like, okay, well, we can take you through SD. All right, well, we've got enough money to take you through DD. Okay, well, these are real short in our mind. These are two really short pro- progress sets, whatever we want to call them. And so we know that, you know, the, your concerted efforts going to be in construction documentation. You're going to be asking for a lot more money. We don't have that yet. Or our project isn't funded for all of that stuff or whatever. And so they honestly do that. I mean, we constantly get asked, you know, like, all right, we want you to break out your contract per phase yeah, and right. let us know how much you're going to be billing per phase. So then we can tell you how far along you need to go. And I've actually saw somebody tweet recently that they're working on a project where the client was having architects compete per phase. Oh, that's so, you know. <laughs> and how many architects are signing up? Like, yeah, I'll do that. Well, you know, and we don't do ourselves any favors by basically undercutting each other. And it's just like, okay, well, you know, Evan said that he was going to do this for a thousand dollars. So a Cormac came in and said, he's going to do it for $950 and cheaper is better. Cheaper is better. <laughs> but you know, never mind all the institutional knowledge you're bringing from that previous phase so that you can actually exactly. do the, the next phase faster. You know, it's just like, you know, it's, it's <laughs> cheaper. It's, is better. it's like how, you know, firms in, and I've seen this in countless firms throughout my own history that will have a team that goes through pre-design, then, the design and then the construction documentation. And then they hand it off to a team of people for construction administration that has no institutional knowledge of the actual project right. prior to that. Seeing it for the first time. Yeah. And then they basically have to struggle through decisions that were made previously. And then certain decisions, you know, that maybe the client wasn't 100% bought off on during the design phase or can't remember why they made that decision and so they want to undo that. And so now they're spending more time with ASIs and change orders and all those other things to try to make sure that the way that they want it now today, rather than thinking about, you know, a year ago when they that decision was made. And the consistency 
the the value and the consistency on a project is so underrated and so forgotten that I mean we do ourselves an in, injustice when we're doing things like that where a client is going out and bidding different architects per phases because they are losing they're actually losing more money and more time to do that yeah. you know and firms do the same thing they lose more money and more time by breaking up project teams it's like oh, okay well i need evan over on this project because it's starting you know the design phase so i need evan over on the design phase side of things so i'm going to take him off of i'm going to take his institutional knowledge of this project and just hope that he you know within the 24 hours that we ask him to move from one project to another, he can get um, Cormac up to speed on everything that he's done over the course of the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. Good luck with that. (laughs) So I question who, who, what position is the person who sent you the message? Um, A more senior person. Okay. So is more senior person also, fully on board with giving people the time it takes to learn how to use the application. Yes. Correctly. This this particular person. Absolutely. Because there's so many that aren't, but the problem is, is that that senior person is on the project, but not in a role where they can influence the firm making decisions like that. But if that person and me and other people, you know, basically sing in a choir, for that particular, you know, for that, let's get, let's get training. In fact, I, I followed up and I said, you know, I've suggested that before. And I was like, and honestly, even with the old timers, we should have a quarterly training for updates and new tricks and things like that. Have the stuff that it, that the application does, you didn't even know it could do is worthwhile. There are so many things that Revit can do that I know I don't know. But the problem is, is that because of just the time that it takes for me to do projects and Get, so so there's there's two levels of training. There's levels of training in the actual software that they use to actually you know document the building. But then there is also the knowledge of how to put all of that stuff that they all of the tools that they have that BIM has, how to put them all together and what makes the most sense and what can you what is the right product for the right you know, aesthetic, you know, application and, and all of these other, all the, like the institutional architectural knowledge, I spend most of my time doing that, that I can't stay up up with. No, you can't do it all. No way. But but, totally agree. Go ahead. I was going to say, so, so like the, the, the tricks and the updates and, and, oh, what is, you know, like, so I currently have on my screens, plural, um, a couple of different Revit um, uh, models open. One is in 2018. One is in 2019. Well, two are in 2019. Now I am flirting with danger that I have three models open and I'm working in the cloud. And we better cut this part out. Yeah, yeah. incrimination. Um, well, it's it's. But I mean, the thing about it is, is that it's just, um, you know, like just looking at what Revit. 19 and Revit 20 do differently than Revit 18. And so making, you know, like letting people know, Hey, we're about to roll out, you know, using Revit 2020. And so, um, here are all of the changes. It's almost like, you know, 
when a new code rolls out, they roll the code out and then they roll out a commentary to let you know what is different from IBC 2015 to IBC 2018. What are the difference between all of those? And, you know, being able to understand what those differences are is just enough of like, you know, those are the things that I, it's like, oh, 2019 has tabs. 2018 doesn't have tabs. Tabs are great. Yeah. You have to work differently in them. Yeah. yeah. So what's what's crazy to me about that is that this is the tool that we use to deliver our projects. Mm-hmm. If you had to prioritize, this is at the top, this tool. But the firm just thinks of software updates like this is an app on your phone, yep. right? And yep. it just gets updated in the background and it just runs a little bit better. Never mind the fact that they change 25% of what's going on under the hood and the way that the UI works is different this time and this and this and this and this. And there is never any course provided to the multitudes of people, plural, right? You have multiple screens on your desk. There's multitudes of people (laughs) using this software every single day. They're going to definitely be using it if not on the project they're working on, the next one for sure. And nobody ever says, hey, let's sit down and go through everything that's different because this is the tool that we use and we take it that seriously. Yeah. That is absolutely bonkers to me <laughs> that, 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 that we just treat this well, like an app update on your phone. And, and, you know, to the point of my friend whose uh, text was, firms essentially think that all of their new hires, whether they're fresh out of school or coming from somewhere else, automatically you know, know. Revit, right? You know Revit. That's it, a quote. You know Revit, right? Exactly. And it's just like, or they do like, you know, those little online, you know, Revit tests, you know, and you take the little Revit test and all that other stuff. And they're like, okay, you're fine. Good. Oh, go. <laughs> and then throw you know, every, every word in that sentence has its own set of quotes around it. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> You know Revit, right? And it's it's such a generalized thing. It's like like it is it is not one of those things. It's like it's like you know how to drive a tank, right? Mm, yeah. And it's like, well, I've done it in a video game once, well, right? But so here here's let, let's let's use that analogy real quick. So I went to school to I'll put it the only way I can phrase it. I went to school in the army to shoot down airplanes, mm-hmm. and. I was taught the basic of how to shoot down those planes in what's called advanced individual training or AIT. You know, it's like the school. So you go to basic training and then you go to basically learn your job. And so you learn your job. So it's, and then you go to your unit, but then they don't actually like immediately throw you into the fire and say, okay, this is exactly what you need to do. They teach you how that unit does things. So let's, let's say standards. So if I'm going to go and serve, you know, a tour at HMC, then I am going to take whatever knowledge I have, and then I'm going to learn the HMC way of doing things. Or in my case, the, you know, the Air St. Gross or the ASG way of doing, doing things. You should probably choose that version. I, I should probably choose that one. Cause that's where I am and that's where I want to be. So <laughs> I remember, Oh God. So I remember in 2007, I went to the San Antonio AIA convention and there was Revit. It was like the new kid on the block and everybody, you know, it was 
a few years old, but I think this was like when, right when Autodesk bought it and, you know, started integrating it into their world and all this other stuff. And it's definitely picking up steam at that point. It was definitely picking up steam. And so everybody was flocking around to look at all of the demonstrations and stuff and ooing and eyeing and everything else. And in 2007, you know, think about this in 2007, you know, they was still trying to do that little hybrid integration of things. But also at 2007, the friend of mine that I went to the AIA convention with was telling me about how the firm that he worked for, and it's a large firm and it's got multiple offices across the country, how they, in, in most, mostly in the South, but, but how they basically have a, um, and I'm going to, I'll just give them a shout out. I mean, LRK, Looney uh, Rick's Kiss, I believe is the LRK part, but LRK out of Memphis, Tennessee. And they basically have an LRK Academy. And so for either one week for more seasoned professionals who know the software and stuff, or two weeks for people who are fresh out of school will basically go to that immediately once they're hired and they will start to learn the LRK way and how to use all of this software, how LRK uses the software and all that other stuff. This was way back then. That's now 13 years ago. And I don't know if firms are, have fully bought off off on that. And it sounds like you guys do try to do that. Um, yeah. In the last few years we've developed what, yeah, HMC Academy and our own version of that is the digital Academy, which is a special set of technical skills, right. For in applications, like we're talking about. So, so we have ASG Academy and, and we do a lot of different things with it. You know, we do like, um, workflow Wednesdays and we do like these, um, thirsty Thursdays, you know, and it's all these different, um, things that we do to basically kind of do an internal enrichment of knowledge and certain people will, you know, train things. It's like, you know, we just recently had something about format and using format and all of that other stuff. But, you know, these are things that if they become institutional usage in the firm need to have more than just a blush need to have an actual training session. So, so the reason I asked if your person would be willing is so what I've seen happen recently uh, and especially with the pandemic stuff that's gone on where people are all kind of off in their own little world uh, on many levels because they're not in an office and you can't see what they're doing. And not that I, I don't subscribe to that at all, but I do expect if you signed up to come to a course that you're going to show up Yeah, and, and just be professional about it. If you can't come because of some reason, you need to let us know so that we can fill your spot where somebody else could do it. Um, and, and that problem is actually coming from two different directions. It could be coming from somebody who just is not on top of their own schedule and doesn't understand the importance of it and blah, blah, blah. The other part of it is that their supervisor doesn't think it's important and needs to make sure that that person is billable, which right. I totally understand that position as well. So total catch 22 here, right, is somebody who really wants to come to a course and learn these skills, which are important for the firm and for the project and for the deliverable and for the future of how we do work. Um, and then there's also kind of this tug of war going on where the deadline of the project always wins, or if there's something else, 
somebody will place um, uninformed urgency on it and say like, oh, this is the most important thing you could be doing right now when it's really not um, and just take them away from doing that and not tell anyone. So here's the deal. Like the message, the new messaging is this training is for your project because I think a lot of times these people in positions of trying to fill hours for people so that they look busy or are busy um, aren't thinking about it from a point of view where it is for the team and for the project. They think it's for the individual and they put that at the bottom of the list. So you already know Revit is kind of what they're thinking. But they don't realize that the training is going to enrich so many other levels and it's going to transfer to other people mm-hmm. when somebody says, hey, how do I do this? They're going to they're gonna go to that person because they know more and they're going to teach them the right way to do it. Uh, the new messaging is it's for your project, right? Because it is. This is going to make your project better, more profitable, less problems, less RFIs. All of those things down the road, but because the short-term blinders are on all the time, what am I doing today, right now, so that we're looking profitable, you know, just as like a default thing that I can throw in here right now, is overwhelming for a lot of people, right? Like that is the highest priority thing that they can be doing right then. So, I mean, it's not like our training team is big and can just handle tons and tons of people at the end of the year because they've all skipped class until then, right? Um, We can't do that. We have to get people in through all during the year. And it's just kind of alarming to me to see people get pulled out at the last second or just not show up and never message and not be professional about it. And this is my own like personal little rant right now, but it I can only imagine it happens everywhere for companies that actually have set this up. And so it has to come from leadership to say, you have to go to this training. It is part of your job. It is not something you're doing on the side. It is not more important than this other stuff because if you don't do it, we're not going to get better. We're not going to do things right. And then somebody else has to pick up the pieces that you left behind because you decided it to in the morning to hand draft those details, right? Like, that's really what it comes back to. And and I don't know what the answer is besides it's got to come from leadership to actually make, like draw that line in the sand and say, this is of this level of importance. You have to do it. You have to commit to it. You know, in uh, honestly there, and, and I totally agree with you. I mean, there, there should be some level of let's just call it continuing education, software training, whatever, whatever type of like training that goes into there. They're always as part of the design development aspect of things or the, you know, you know, concept design, schematic design, design development phases that should go into and do somewhat go into, you know, research of products and things like that. But, you should go one step further and have that, you know, that integral training into the project because, you know, they're going, well, how am I going to get the, uh, the owner to pay for, you know, you learning how to use the software? Well, they're expecting us to deliver a project with that software. So 
we should be trained on that particular software. So like, you know, like when we go into construction administration and the construction manager is using a different software for, um, you know, like document management, um, that's different from what we do. We have to get trained on that software to use that software effectively so that we can communicate back and forth with them during construction administration. It's the same thing with the design tools that we use. And for absolutely for any and all owner um, in, in this, you know, when we talk about size of, of projects and, you know, budgets of projects and all this other stuff, it's hard to pass on some of that, you know, the cost of training somebody up on something that the owner is assuming that you already know. But, you know, when they say, you know, hey, we demand that you have you deliver us a fully executable you know, Revit model. Well, then what they're saying is, is that I expect that you're going to give me a fully competent, fully um, coordinated model. And I should be the one that's on the hook for making sure that you guys know how to use that. I know that's a little stretch. Well, it's funny because it's like the, the computer doesn't do it itself, right? Like, right. This is the, it's made of people. Right. It's, <laughs> yeah. That's how Revit models get built. They get built by people. Right, right. And if everybody's building it a different way, uh, you're guaranteed to have a disaster at the end and just something that kind of looks like a building. It's not it's not going to function again to like the fullest potential of, of what it could be. And so like so I know Revit competently enough to be able to deliver a building. But <laughs> I know dangerous. but I know the building <laughs> side of things more. And so that's where my value to, you know, the project and the firm and you know, every, everything else comes from. And so, but then I need to be paired up with multitude of different people that have different levels of experience and different levels of knowledge and, and things like that. So that, you know, we can fully deliver that comprehensive coordinated model that the owner is looking for. But, and honestly, that should be a a give and take, like you're, you're training those people you're matched up with on the architecture side and they're, enlightening you to what's possible in the software as expert operators. And that is, yes, exactly. And that's exactly where I was going. And so, you know, but because that's something that is an expectation and for the most part, a contractual expectation from the owner, then the owner and firm leadership should realize that for that to happen, everybody should be properly trained. And so there should be a portion of all of that. I mean, if you think about it, we try to run people, you know, and doesn't sound realistic, but we try to run people like a hundred percent, you know, 80% billable. Right. Mm-hmm. And to do that, that literally means that there is no point in time. Like say if I'm 85, 100% billable, um, there is no time for me to stop actually working on the project to enrich myself with community, you know, with continuing education or learning the software, you know, the new upgrades in the software or sitting down and going through and taking classes to learn the new codes or all of these other things. And I literally have to do it on the fly while I'm doing the project and being billable for you know, both the project and my own, um, you know, continuing education. 
I, yeah, so when, when we launched our HMC University, which is larger than just the technical stuff, so we're the digital academy of the university mm-hmm. and there's lar- there's other academies, we were very clear when that launched that none of this affects anyone's project utilization because it can't. Right. You The firm has to be willing to make that investment in its people so that they are encouraged to do better and always be learning. Because if they're not encouraged or incentivized, you know, this is kind of a reverse incentive. It's not going to take away from your project, right? Um, it, then they won't do it. They just won't do it because they can't. They don't have the time. And so you, you have to be proactive about planning this stuff into your schedule. You have to have the resources in place to make it happen. This cannot be someone's side job who works on a project. It's fine if those people do Thirsty Thursdays and share some tips and tricks. Mm-hmm. But if you want real training, you have to have trainers yes. where that's all they do. Yes. Because it's not like you're just holding a workshop and then everybody leaves. No, it's like you want to track people's progress. You want to make sure that they have the prerequisites done before they show up to class so that everybody at least has the same starting point. You want to follow up and get surveys with those people and see what can make the class better for the next time. You want to look for other training opportunities by engaging with those people throughout the course and then following up with those and developing curriculum around that stuff. So does that sound like something that you can do on top of a project? There's no effing way <laughs> to do that, right? right? And so you actually have the firm has to decide, no matter how big or small it is, whether they want to make this investment or not um, and just be, I, I almost say like it, it's, you have to do it because technology changes so quickly and it is hard to get leadership to buy off on that. But I think once they see the benefits of it, which if, if they never get to see, they never get to see, right. but if they do see the benefits of it, then it's a no brainer that of course we're going to train people. If you're just hiring kids out of school who quote unquote know, quote unquote Revit, quote you know <laughs> that everybody knows it, yeah, a different way and you really want them doing that to your projects, like that's like asking a lawyer to operate on your on you in the in the right, operating exactly. room. It's you just can't yeah. expect anything good to come out of that. Yet it happens all the time. So if you don't take that upon yourself, which you know, I, I lo- architects are going to love to complain about the educational system, you know, and they don't train them for what we need them to do. You can't train that. You, you right. absolutely. Peop- these kids have the aptitude. They have the the ability. They have they have the the sponge like brain that they can soak up any kind of training that you throw at them. But you would definitely want to train them to do it your way. Or you're screwed, man, because right. you're going to get all kinds of crap in your models. And you're like, so I remember when I was drawing back in the day and opening up somebody's model, and I started to like measure things. Mm-hmm. There was not anything snapped to anything. <laughs> there was not anything orthogonal. It was all slightly off, and it was just like, yeah, I just drew it by eye. Yeah. And you I'm know, like, well, well, then what are you using CAD for? Like, you, right? you know, you don't have to. <laughs> That's the beauty of the computer. You can be, you can take it to a level of precision that you'd never had been able to do with. But this person knew Rhino, quote unquote, knew Rhino, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> because they knew how to draw on it. They could yeah. make a pretty picture with yeah. it. And so, yeah, of course or, they knew. Or it. 
or one that I've, you know, pet peeve of mine is like, you know, everybody is drawing a wall. Okay. I drew a wall. I drew, I put a door in it, put a window in it and all this other stuff. Well, what kind of wall is it? Oh, well, it's a CMU wall. Okay. It's a generic wall. Well, no. So. <laughs> Thanks, Revit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's just like, so I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. I have, okay, so now I've drawn a CMU wall. Great. So, but there are conventions to what you it's do. eight inches thick, right? Well, it could be eight inches thick. It could be, you know, six <laughs> inches. I mean, you know, if we just use the, you know, the. Seven and five eighths. How about that? Well, if if we just use the the um, industry convention of calling it a six inch block, a eight inch block, ten inch block, blah 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 blah, there's still conventions to it. There's I call you there, Mister Nominal here. There's 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 vertical you know conventions. There are horizontal conventions. I mean, you know, you you're not going to just go around and start cutting block. Oh, hey, this door is at you know, um, seven foot three and five eighths or something like that. It was like, well, no, it needs to be seven foot four because that if you, um, if you do the actual like math of like where the block starts and stops, it has a convention. And so you look at all these things and you, and you're just like the way that they're drawn, it's just like, Oh, well, you know, I needed to put the door here, like, but they're not going to put the door there unless you're expecting them to cut all of those blocks and then if you're expecting them to cut all of those blocks, now you're expecting them to take an increase. Let's just say, let's just say that because you've decided to put all of your windows and doors and everything else in a unconventional location for a CMU wall, now you've increased the budget of that wall that would normally have cost you X dollars to now Y dollars because you've added a bunch of additional labor that yeah. when you when you priced it all out, you said, Oh, you know, because I'm, you know, using block because it's, it's inexpensive and, you know, there's pretty easy conventions to follow where, so, you know, almost anybody can do it. Any Mason can like slink a block. And then now you're actually asking for somebody that's a little bit more of a, you know, an artisan because they've got to come out and cut the block and finish the block and all of this other crap. And there's so many different things that they've got to do. And you're, and the only reason that it was done the second way was because somebody didn't understand how to do it right the first time when they were drawing it. So it cost them more in construction. Yep. And I. Schools spend a lot of time teaching people about block module though, right? Well, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and so the, you know, we know because, you know, it's so funny. It's like, you know, it's just like, ah, it's so amazing what they don't know when they come out of school. It's, well, what the hell did you know when you came out of school? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you didn't know shit when you came out of school. So now you, you know, you're expecting them it to be different. What you came out of school with was a valuable tool of critical thinking, thinking through designs, thinking through, you know, kind of like cause and effects of all of these other things. Now, as a practitioner, you know how to use that, that knowledge that you gained in school to then finish out a project. And so, yes, you learned on the job, a lot of the construction methods you learned on the job, you know, what those, you know, CMU block conventions and all of those other things are. And that's fine. So guess what? Now it's your job because you want that kid to come in and work on your project with you. And you know, because you were there 
what information they know and they don't know. And sure, they may know Revit, but Revit is Revit is only a tool. It is the same thing as that pencil that you used to use to draw things. And it's only... Unfortunately, yes. Yeah, and it is only in, in... Well, yeah, I mean... But I mean, the only way to make it useful is the knowledge that is added into it. You know, that information that's added into it. And they're not going to know, oh, hey, um, that, you know, seven and a half inch um, uh, curtain wall system that you want me to draw in there should be the Conier 1600, um, you know, SSG. uh, Maybe it's uh, fully captured on two sides and, you know, mullion lists in, you know, on the other two sides, blah, 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 and all this other stuff. That's all of the information that you take to add into the BIM model that that kid coming out of school is not going to know what the hell all of that stuff is. And that's no, when of course you not. need to fill them in on all of that stuff. So why does... And you should want to, because then they're going to do it the way you want them to do it. Exactly. That's where I was going. It was just like, and so why would you expect, why would you bitch and moan about them coming out with limited information when you're the one who wants to give them the what you feel is the right information? the information that's best for your project. There was a a funny story that I I was in this, I I was trying to get to this earlier and I I probably lost my train of thought and bringing it up now again, because it, it, I think it fits better here even is that I was in a a small meeting with some leaders in a studio talking about what we were doing with digital practice so that they were kind of up to speed. And a, a senior architect is in the room and she says, yeah, but what about all these architectural mentoring? And what about, you know, I, I, technology's great and all, and, you know, these tools are great and all, but what about mentoring these people so that they become good architects? And this person is a complainer, for sure, all the time. But I looked right back, and I said, that's your job. Right. <laughs> you can't expect me to do it all for you. Like, I I only have so much time in the day like you, but you're the one who's sitting with them, leading them on projects, Mm -hmm. setting out those schedules, determining what the deliverables are going to look like, doing that cartoon set, deciding what the materials are going to be used. Like that's, that's what you're supposed to be doing Right. right there. And so, yeah, you, what, what was mind blowing to me was number one, that they thought that was somebody else's job. And I think that that's pretty common, but I still, my mind is still blown by that. And number two, that they didn't want to do it. Because that, to me, is how you develop good architects, is by getting your rolling up your sleeves and doing it with them and teaching them. Like this, you know, it goes back to the oldest apprenticeship models, no matter how draconian those may seem nowadays, right, with the gig economy and all, all of the, the advances in technology. But, like, that's how people learned how to become good architects, was by working with other good architects. You don't just come at, nobody comes out of school a good architect. Nobody. You might be good at certain things in the process, but you're not a good architect, right? You're right. definitely not even an architect. <laughs> but yeah. but still, like this is one of those careers that takes a long time to develop you into becoming that. And uh, it, it's mind-blowing to me how hands-off people are with that scenario like 
this profession is not going to be around if you don't get involved in shaping the future of these future architects. It's just not going to happen. This also goes back, like the stuff you're talking about with the block module and putting doors and windows in. Do you ever, like I, I've been going to the home improvement store quite often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I definitely on the weekends walk in, walk in the aisles, like I'm shopping for a ceiling insulation right now. Uh, and I'm, so I'm doing a bunch of research online, but do you ever just walk the aisles and just see what's there? Yeah. See what's available? Yeah. yeah. With, it has like, nothing to do ooh. with what you're trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> it goes for tools, but it also goes for products, right? Well, it's like, huh, I, there's an interesting new light fixture. Part, like yeah, a exactly. new way to do that. Part of and, my... And it's, it's, yeah, it's funny because like you're drawing a soffit and you think about, okay, how's this going to fit in the framing? Like, yep, yep. Like a young architect is not going to have any... They're not even going to know what, what the right question to ask there is. Like, how much space do I need? How far off of a of a soffit stud does that need to be? And you start to look at just kind of the ways that LED lights have changed the game with light fixture placement. Uh, it's pretty amazing, right? And so imagine coming to a, a meeting with an electrical engineer and talking about light fixtures and saying, you know, I, I've been checking these out and I, I saw this one that does this and I think we could use it to solve this problem where we don't have any room. Right. And, electrical engineer is probably going to be the one to do that but if you do it too i mean that's they kind of open their eyes and they get interested right oh here's a informed teammate imagine that that's cool stuff i love that about going to the store (laughs) that's like the only redeeming quality these days of going to the store is Mm -hmm. seeing this stuff and just kind of thinking like oh i'm putting that in the catalog right i'm gonna put that in the back of my mind and yeah and keep keep that in mind for later because there's some cool stuff out there so you do that too? Oh, absolutely. Because I mean, the thing about it is, is that what, you know, part of my job is to understand what products are out there that I can put into a building to make it, you know, to conform to all of the different um, things that the client wants in their building. And so yeah. how else am I going to do that? But to like walk these aisles and look at things or, you know, maybe like go out and visit other construction sites or other buildings to just yeah, see, see it in see place. how yeah. other people have used the stuff that's out there. Like, oh, yeah, I, I remember walking like a metal deck and, and somebody seeing all the little studs that were welded to the deck. Right. What are those? There, they asked. There right? is a there is a detail that um, the architect did at Glenstone that I am still trying to figure out how to do. And I look at the, like the glazing system that he used and in the way that it engages the, um, the, you know, roof slab and all of that other stuff. And, and, you know, to the life of me, I'm still trying to figure it out because I would still love to use that particular detail. Cause it's just this beautifully seamless piece of glass on the front that goes from interior glass to handrail at the green roof. And you, you know, but it's just all one big sheet of glass and, you know, I, how do you waterproof that? <laughs> exactly. And those That's are the, awesome. but see, those are the questions that I'm always out there asking myself time and time again, how did somebody else do that? Because if I can figure out how they did it, then it helps me figure out like the next move and it makes me take the, you know, like, cause we're, we're building with, you know, we're, you know, we build with a kit of parts but we have to design by, you know, the limitations of that kit of parts. But if somebody else is out there innovating those kit of parts to take them even further, then that's, 
our opportunity to take the, you know, our design even further. And that is our growth in our design of not only understanding the building systems, but then also, you know, increasing our ability to be more creative with the kit of parts that are out there. Because no matter how much you want to think about it, every single solitary building that is built out there is still built with some kit of parts and understanding those kit of parts makes you more creative. Absolutely. I I feel like, um, like there's this detail that I'm working on in my remodel of my office space that I'm doing and it's just for an attic access hatch and, you know, typical residential attic access hatch is going to be some framed opening with, lots of trim around it and another sheet of drywall that sits inside that. But I don't want to see all that. I don't want, I don't want to change the elevation. I want it to be minimized. Mm -hmm. I want it to disappear, right? I don't want you to see it. I don't want it to be obvious that there's an attic access hatch there. Right. So I'm starting to think of ways that I could detail that so that I can build it in a way where it just disappears. Right. Yeah. And so I'm sketching out ideas. And again, like that we talked about this in the last episode, I love that detailing phase where you are figuring out how all these things actually go together or what your design intent is so that, mm-hmm. so that you can get the design intent and, and you get to make amazing little design decisions during the detailing process that really make things stand out. I honestly think that that's more of where the design like decisions come from because absolutely you know you have yeah. like the big general ideas like ooh I want this ceiling to look very seamless but oh crap I know that I'm going to have either you know some access panels for you know HVAC yeah. equipment or <laughs> you know the Everything. access panel for you know getting up into the attic space but I still want it to look seamless okay mm-hmm. so I've got the intent of what I want now how do I implement that and it's that it's that next phase of understanding the materials that you have out there to be able to achieve that initial intent. That is where the fun of like, Oh, I can do this or, Oh, I can do that kind of thing. You know? And that's also why one of the things that I've always tried to make sure that I am engaged with the contractor during the construction phase, because a lot of times you know, you'll draw out that design intent. You'll detail out that design intent. And then they, because of, you know, 20 years of experience or, you know, understanding a different product or a different way to use the material will say, you know, Hey, Evan, you know, I see what you're trying to do. And this was the way that you were thinking about doing it. Well, what if we do it this way? Um, it'll achieve the same thing. It'll be a little bit easier to construct and it'll actually, you know, save both time, money or whatever, you know, what other, other benefits are. And then you're like, Ooh, that's interesting. But now what, what you've got is you've still got the design intent. They're able to build it, actually build it. But now you've got that institutional knowledge of, Oh, that's how they're going to build this next time. Next time I can do it this way. Yeah. I and just to tie it back together, like the whole the whole reason I'm going through this process is because I was w- window shopping down the aisles at Lowe's and I saw some metal trim that I think I can use to accomplish my goal and I thought, "Hmm, I'm going to see if I can incorporate that in." Or or basically at that time I was just cataloging it in my mind and saying, "Oh, that's a cool thing." Mm-hmm. 
and now I figured out a place to use it, right? And yeah. and I that probably wouldn't have happened because I'm going to go look at the other attic access panel in my house and <laughs> do it like that. And no, this is a new space. It's got a much cleaner look, much cleaner lines. How can I do it so that that thing disappears? And that's kind of it's through that process. It's like n- nobody in architecture school is going to make you detail an attic access hatch, right? Right. But when you actually go to do it yourself, and this goes back to the value of knowing how things go together and knowing what products are available on the shelves at your local home improvement store yeah. and starting to kind of connect those dots when you're actually making something with your hands or some, you've hired somebody to come in and do it, but you want to be very critical about the way that those things go together, that's only going to happen by all of those pieces coming together. So don't shortchange yourself by only looking at pictures on the internet, right? right? right. Visit job sites during construction, like you're talking about, and see how things go together. Ask questions. What is that? Why is that there? How are you doing that? Instead of looking at my drawings, right? (laughs) Because that happens all the time. Because, yeah, that's how you get better. That's how you learn how these things do go to actually go together or could go together in different ways. Um, to create something that, that again, kind of just gets back to the design intent. And that's going to inform your design intent for the next time. So it's uh, this definitely is like an ecosystem, right, that all works together. And you can't just come, keep coming at it from one angle. And it also plays back into how we use the software. And it also plays back into professional development and all of these things. Like right. it is all this ecosystem that thrives or or fails to thrive, um, based on your perspective and and what you where you choose to put uh, your time and energy into. Yep. Boom. Done. <laughs> so so the challenge this week is to go to your local home improvement store with your mask on, I guess, and just window shop. Just just touch with your eyes, right? <laughs> just look at everything. Take it in. Uh, Figure out something that you could make yourself and and go looking for how you might do that and draw hand draw some details if you want. Like it doesn't matter how you do it. I think it's a, it's an important skill to be able to do that. And and you can't only do that by looking at pictures on the internet. I mean, that helps sometimes, but it also helps to just go look and touch and feel and make something and fail at it and tear it apart and do it again and like that. That to me is actually something I love about the construction process. And it kind of is an analog to like the early design phases mm-hmm. when you've got a bunch of trace and you just keep doing it over and over and over again. Like the construction process at some level is kind of like that, right? It's like right. I put in an electrical box and, and then I step back and I'm like, Oh, that's the wrong place for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to put that right there. That's where a piece of art's going to go. And you have to be able to think in the future. Right. So, right. Uh, I'm going to move that electrical box so that it's not right in the middle of that wall because <laughs> I'm not drawing all this in BIM. I'm like I said earlier, like I did the minimal drawings to get through the permit process, and now I'm kind of figuring out as I go where where these things are going to go. Uh, and and I didn't I didn't elevate that that wall right, so now I'm elevating it by building it. Um, and that's a cool process, like to just say nope, it's not going there. I'm going to tear it out and put it, move it over here, and that's fine, right? That should be, uh, I think everybody should experience that. Yeah. And, and 
One of the interesting things about um, just that whole process was something that we kind of, and it wasn't even a, you know, like a lecture or anything else, but um, back in school, um, well, one of the things that, you know, is good about just Auburn in general is the ability to be able to go out and actually build stuff. But so when we were doing our materials and methods course, we had the opportunity to essentially build a community park for seaside Florida. And, and we did. Um, and so we basically spent the entire first semester, you know, designing and building, um, all of this stuff. And then the second semester we went out and did the, the actual installation of it where we, you know, poured, uh, or we, you know, we dug holes, you know, built some forms, blew some forms out when we were trying to do it, how to fix all of that stuff. And, you know, basically do, you know, like pour a bunch of concrete, pour, you know, like build a, a big, huge, um, steel, uh, sundial, you know, with a, this big brass gnomon, which I kind of got to help build and kind of shape and craft this, I don't know, it was like 18 foot long brass, you know, like spine on the, uh, um, on the sundial. But what was interesting about it was that while we were doing all of that, and, you know, I'm not quite sure at that time that we saw the value of what we were doing based, you know, like connecting it together with like the future self and seeing, you know, that building all of this stuff enriches our design abilities. Um, but the, we had an architect come by and very well-known, very notable architect come by and stop in because they were building a project in Seaside as well. And so he came by and he stepped, you know, he stepped into the old construction site and started talking to us a, a little bit and, you know, basically told us, you know, try to explain to us like what it meant to like hand build all of this stuff to our educational process and what it meant to like the design aspect of things. And when Steve Bedanes finished, you know, talking and then he went back to, you know, do his, um, his other thing, we were just like, who's that MF? <laughs> <laughs> but, but at the, at, at the same time, you can see that he's lived a life of that very thing of understanding and how do you can stretch like your basic stuff that you, you know, pull off a of home Depot by truly understanding the, the craft of building so that you can enrich your design. And so like when you're going there and you're, you know, walking the, the halls of home Depot or, you know, just trying to figure out all of those little things and then think about all of like the ramifications. I always call it the cause and effect. You know, it's like, okay, if yep. you do that, what does that mean? You know, like think about the seven steps next one decision. You know, it's, it's like those parallel universes, you know, it's just like, okay, you've made this decision. Think about everything that is going to happen to that one decision from now till, you know, let's just say 20 years from now. And they're like, well, why would I do that? I'm just, I just want to put the damn outlet there. Yeah. But, but Evan was like, oh, I want to put that outlet there, but what if I want to put art up there? Or what if I want to do this? What if I want to do that? What, what does it mean to have that outlet there? 
you know, and it's those things that I want them to constantly think about. And it's the understanding of all of that. It's really hard to move it later. I'll tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Now is the best time. (laughs) Now is definitely the best time to think about where you're putting things and, and just, you know, like all of the different things. It's just like, okay, well, you know, convention is, is that I would put it here. Okay. That's great. So you've got it 18 inches off of your finish, you know, off of your uh, floor and you know, it's, it's here and it's just, if you plug in something, you know, yeah, you'll be able to have a core that reaches this far or this far or something like that. But what if you put a bed in the way now, what, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, are you going to be able to plug in your, you know, your bedside uh, lamps or anything? Always put your furniture in your plans, kids. Yeah. I mean, always it's, it it literally is. It's the, I mean, I, you know, it's the, it's the total cause and effect of things. Um, I've been listening to a lot of, or like I watch, I just finished watching. Um, so I, I read, um, 11, uh, 23 or 11, 22, 63, the Stephen King book, um, which is eventually, um, about, you know, this guy who, um, finds a wormhole, and he can go back in time, but he, you know, ultimately goes back in time. Well, you know, it's, it's passed on from this one guy who, you know, um, time is trying to stop, but he's, he's basically, he's going back in time just to stop the JFK assassination. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, and then he keep talking about the butterfly effect and all that other stuff. And then I started watching some really dumb, but, you know, also just, good background um, stuff called future man, which is essentially the same thing as time travel. And now uh, um, there is the Hulu show um, on the same Stephen King book that we're watching that. So it's all about this, like this kind of like butterfly effect and the cause and effect. And if you change this, what does it do to that and all that other stuff? And I'm just like, to be quite honest with you is literally what like time traveling for just a moment in time. When I think about, okay, I'm going to put that outlet there. What does it mean? What, what a butterfly, (laughs) what butterfly effect am I going to have on the future of this by just doing that? So architecture is time. Our design process is time travel. It, it sort of is, isn't it? Is we got to think about, I mean, think about this a lot of times. How many, how many times are we asked to future proof a building? (laughs) You know, and we're just like, well, what the hell does that mean? Right. <laughs> you know, just I have like, an, you, all you can do is, is enact a prototype of what you think that might be. Mm-hmm. There's so many possible futures. There's, yeah. Yeah. I, I keep coming back to architecture just needs to be as flexible as possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, absolutely. And, and that often means dumbing stuff down. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean like making it so that it can be the most useful in lots of ways. Right. Right, right. In the future. Well, just the, and it's it's funny how many types of buildings that we do that just really need that yeah. instead of really custom spaces. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, think about this. I mean, how many people are in your shoes right now who are like, okay, my school system is going to be starting their totally. you know first semester as you know virtual, so I need a space for my kids to do their um, homework. Okay, well that means that you know even though there are some businesses that are opening up and people are going back, they're doing it in limited capacities. And they're also making the, um, the opportunity for those parents who have their kids at home, the opportunity for them to continue to work at home. So now they need an office space. And so the flexibility, 
I mean, you're, you're doing this out of your, you're doing all of these things out of your house that you would otherwise never have done in your house before. And so how right. do you, you know, make the, you know, as you said, make the house as flexible as possible so that yeah. you can, you know, do that evolution of space. And then what is that? I mean, you know, think about this. You are going through so many hoops to get that, um, that back room that used to be your, you know, kind of like multi-purpose room now into two very special things. But you've also said, okay, in the future when it's not a classroom or when it's not yeah. an office space or when it's not this or that, it Absolutely. can be this. And, right. you know, so again, you have to be a time traveler. You do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's cool. Well, that seems like a good place to put a cork in this one. Sure. Uh, this was a fun talk. I, I didn't know where we were going to go today, but I think that it was, uh, there, we covered a lot of ground. I Jeez. know, right? Wow. What was time okay. traveling? We, we bounce from place to place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I need a vacation. Uh, yeah. All right. That might be all for this episode, but maybe listen to the end just in case. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. See all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what we're doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out, and don't forget to share it with your friends. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at arcaspeakpodcast.com, where you can find our entire catalog of shows. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.
I tell you what, um, I've, I've learned that even though I, you know, did go on vacation ish and, but I was working in stuff, there is a, and you know, we've talked about this so many times in the past, but there is an absolute need to fully disconnect. Yes. You haven't had that. And I haven't had that. (sighs) I'm really jealous of the people who have. <laughs> I I am too, but you know, I mean, we'll oh man, we'll get there. Yeah. We'll get there. Yeah, I f- I feel like I'm I, I'm wearing so many hats right now with with the two podcasts and then the remodeling on the weekends and yeah. the full time job and uh, uh I just I just I was telling Jesse yesterday I'm just I'm feeling so overwhelmed right now. She's like, "What can I do?" Like she's being super supportive, and I'm just like, uh I don't know. Like, like, yeah, exactly. I don't know what you could do. And, and then you know, BIM three hundred and sixty went down. So she's like, "Can you fix this?" Gosh, yes. Just can't get back into the model, and it's like, oh, I am the IT also. So <laughs> we had, we had some. You know, um, I don't know if you know this, or I mean, if if you've experienced this or not. But the closer and closer you get to a deadline, the more and more issues Revit decides it wants to throw at you. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's just like, so we were on our happy hour, um, our team happy hour, uh, this past week. And, um, they, you know, and, and someone was just like, oh, I just tried to get in, you know, I, I was having some issues and so I exited out of the model and now I can't get back into it. It says that, you know, I need to, um, you know, make a new, uh, central. And I'm like, I, Whoa. I just synchronized. And then other people are on the, on the call and they're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Don't, don't you do that because I've still got work going on. And so everybody started to synchronize and then I synchronized again. I'm like, okay, everybody's, it's, it's been working fine for everybody else. And he's, and he was just like, I don't know. I keep getting this stuff. And I was like, okay, can somebody else, exit out of Revit. And this is our happy hour. Yeah. Um, and I was like, triage hour, yeah, I think you mean. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I was just like, and it was just like, so exit out, try to get back in the model. And two people did it. Um, I was like, well, one of them wasn't in the model at the time and they got into the model perfectly fine. And another one exited out of the model and got back into the model perfectly fine. And so we, you know, started doing our whole, well, did you, uh, you know, reboot your machine? I was like, cause you know, that's the first thing that it is going to tell you. Right. Uh, he's like, well, I can't do it until I'm off the call. And then, so <laughs> yeah, clearly not. Yeah. So I'm on the call with you. So then we found out that, you know, I think he was okay. It was just, uh, some, some glitch in, in sure enough. I mean, as, as much as we are, you know, kind of held captive to the, um, to just like what BIM 360, you know, in the Revit model and everybody else's model and all that other stuff are, we're also kind of beholden to, beholden to the fact that everybody else in our neighborhood are on the internet as well. And, yeah. you know, um, like, you know, in the DC area, I'm sure in the, you know, LA, you know, metropolitan area, it's probably very similar, but oh, I mean, course, we've, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll have times where, like, like he's, he's, his is almost like clockwork that at like three thirty every day, his internet goes down. And yeah. I'm, I was like, I'm wondering if it's all of the government, you know, employees around here 
basically saving all of their work at the same time to get ready to go home. Doing their time cards. Exactly. <laughs> so. so we had we, one person on my team, she was having, she has the worst internet. It's just terrible. It's not, you can't, we can't upgrade it. We actually sent her a, a MiFi card so that she can be on cellular because she has to present. She does um, teaching some classes for Grasshopper and stuff. Hmm. And, and the presentations were just so bad because the slides wouldn't be at the same place where she was talking. And so, so then she was like talking over the cell network as one attendee in the meeting and then presenting from her computer as another attendee, like to try to break up the bandwidth. Um, it was a disaster. So we finally figured out what the culprit was and it was just to turn off one drive syncing. <laughs> yeah. And that, and then all of a sudden she was on, we were on happy hour at the end of last week and she was, I'm like, did you get an upgrade on your internet? You look so clear. Like I can actually, you're not stuttering. And she's like, she just has like this evil grin. She's like, I turned off one drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it was just taking over her bandwidth. And the thing is, it's like, it's just constantly looking for changes. Right. So right. BIM 360 is not like that. And it, it actually does a really good job about not being super chatty over the internet. It's the only reason why it works for everybody. Right. Because everybody's internet has a different latency and a different speed. And, you know, you can't really count on residential internet versus enterprise Mm -hmm. internet. Mm -hmm. So the the connections just, they're, they're a lot different. So, you know, if she has terrible internet, this and that, everybody's got a different story. BIM 360 doesn't really care about that, and that's why it works, and that's why everybody's on it, because it's just not expecting constant communication. Right, um, right. Because if it were, we'd be screwed, and I this mean, is why working over the VPN sucks, right? Like, it totally sucked. It's sucked. The, it's the worst. Plural. I mean, and it because and and it, it's super chatty, tense. and yeah. For us, it's past tense. We don't VPN anymore. Well, if you're on BIM 360, you don't need to unless, right. in our case, we are if you're trying to access other files on the server that are, you know, you might need to refer to or whatever. Um, so, yeah, we could still have that issue um, and we're trying to solve that. But whatever, it's, a, what, it's a trick, man. Whatever is, I mean, and maybe it is still a, a sort of B, VPN type thing, but whatever that global connect, global protect thing is that we do i literally am on my computer at home and it treats it exactly the way i don't have to you know go through um you know remote desktop or you know connect through the vpn or anything else you know when i just like when i open up my computer at at work and it automatically connects to the server when i'm at home as long as i have internet connection it does the exact same thing and it literally is like I am sitting in the office while I'm sitting at home. So that's awesome. Whatever we are doing, I really like shout out to John Eaton. <laughs> Johnny that guy, E. That guy's awesome. Yeah. Oh man. Well, I'm going to go uh shopping, I guess, for ceiling insulation. 